Amen, and good morning. It is good to see you. It is good to be back in the pulpit uh, with you after a week of vacation. Uh, on a personal note, I just wanted to share how exciting this past week has been here at WPC with our Vacation Bible School. Um, as someone who's worked in a number of churches and has seen a lot of Vacation Bible Schools, it, I was uh, thoroughly impressed with the with the energy, the excitement, the, the creativity that, uh, that uh, not only the children brought, but, but also our volunteers, our adults and youth volunteers that uh, really made it such a special week here. So wanted to thank them uh, personally, but also on behalf of the church for their dedication and service. I also, on another housekeeping note, want to invite you all again to our first uh, outdoor evening service uh, tonight at 6 p.m. in our outdoor chapel. Some of you may not even know it exists, uh, just beyond the uh, playground area over there. Uh, we'll, have, um, we'll, we'll worship outside, we'll sing some songs that, that uh, a few of our youth and college students will be leading, uh, we'll share in communion. Uh, it won't be the same sermon you're going to hear now. Uh, it'll be a similar theme. It'll be on the same theme, but it'll be a little more interactive, let's say. Um, so I invite you to, to come back tonight if you're able. We'd love for you to join us. Well, friends, today we begin our summer sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And I titled the series after the disciples' plea in Luke's Gospel that Faith read for you all uh, a moment ago. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray by giving them a prayer, his own prayer, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer has become our model of prayer, of our conversation, of our relationship with God. But even more so, in teaching us how to communicate and live in relationship with God, Jesus also gives us a better glimpse of who God is for us and for the world. My hope is that this ancient yet timeless prayer will encourage and empower each of us in our own lives of prayer, in our own relationship with the living God. So basically what we have as the Lord's Prayer in the church today is really a mashup. It's a mashup of three slightly different versions of the prayer. First, we have the short and sweet version from Luke's Gospel that we heard in the first lesson. Next, we have Matthew's version of the prayer, a little longer but still lacks the ending that we know. For that, we have to turn to our final source, which is outside the Bible, called the Didache. The Didache, which is also known as the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, dates back to the end of the first century, uh, much like all of the Gospels. And it really uh, was the church's first worship book. It contained instructions on baptism, communion, faith, ethics, and importantly for today, prayer. So from these three sources, the church has developed what we say each week, the Lord's Prayer. I think of the Lord's Prayer as we have it as a sort of recipe, a family recipe that's uh, developed and been passed down over time. And like most family recipes, it's truly a quirky one, a quirky recipe that consists of the Gospel of Matthew as its base, just a dash of Luke a touch of the Didache, the language of the King James Bible for flavoring, and a garnish of the Reformation as well. 
Don't worry, we'll get to there and what all that means by the end of the series. We pray the Lord's Prayer every week because it is our guide to prayer. It roots all conversation, it roots all relationship we are able to have with God through Christ. But like anything we do too often, it can become uh, rote, routine, uh, dulled by repetition, and as such the meaning and significance can be lost. So we're diving in deep this summer, going line by line through the prayer that Jesus taught us, seeking its original meaning, uh, but also discerning what it means for us today. Each line of the prayer provides us deep insight in how we can grow in our own relationships with the triune God, but also with one another. Friends, I invite you now to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word from the sixth chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the fifth verse, as we hear Jesus' prayer. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every time I sit down to write a thank you note or send an email, hey, even a text message, I find myself pausing, pausing on how to begin the communication, how to address the communication. There are many ways one can address uh, any kind of, any form of communication that we have today, but it's a very important decision because how you address something sets the tone for the entire message. The way you'd address a letter to your grandmother will look a little different than a coworker or a friend. In writing a letter to a friend named Joe, you might begin with a simple, Dear Joe. If you're from Joe's utility company informing him of a new policy, you might uh, address it with the cold and removed, To whom it may concern. If you're calling Joe on the phone, you might begin with, Hello Joe, this is such and such. If you're reaching Joe on Twitter, you'd have to begin by addressing him by his handle, at Joe1234, and then continue on with the message. How you address something matters in how you communicate. Our line from the Lord's Prayer this morning, Our Father in Heaven, serves as the preface of the prayer. 
and as such, it kind of becomes the address, so to speak. And like any other communication, this preface sets the tone for the entire prayer. This is why it's so important. It answers the question, this preface answers the question, how do we address the almighty and all-powerful God? Further, if this is Jesus' way of teaching us to pray, of teaching us how we can speak with God, how we can communicate with God, this preface is also our guide of who God is for us. Because these few words are so significant to the prayer and in turn the Christian life, I'd like to take them one by one. The first word of the preface in the Lord's Prayer itself is our It shouldn't be overlooked that Jesus doesn't teach us to pray with an individual my or I, but with a communal our. New Testament scholar John Dominic Croson says on this note, The prayer is certainly personal, but personal in community rather than personal in privacy. You may certainly pray it alone, but you are never alone when you pray it. Friends, it's this sort of communal, plural language that begins our address of God. Here, our becomes a powerful yet humbling reminder that God is always greater than our individual assumptions and understandings of God. We may have our own individual prayer lives, our own relationships with God, but this is always part of something greater. It's our instead of my. We may pray by ourselves at times, but this prayer life is part of the greater work of the faith community. We talk to God, but we do so alongside the faithful of every corner of the earth, as well as the saints who have come before us. Here, Jesus shines a light on a God who is experienced in community, a God who is not limited to any one person or group, but a God who is known by a personal name revealed in our very next word, Father. In the original Greek of both Matthew and Luke, Father is actually the first word of the prayer. Another translation could be Father of us. The image of God Jesus gives us in his prayer is one of a loving parent. It's an image of imminence and family ties Now, a lot of folks understandably get hung up on the masculine language for God here. And I think, to some extent, this is a fair critique. After all, the all-powerful God who created the heavens and the earth transcends gender and any other human boundary. Scripture itself uses both masculine and feminine language to describe who God is for us, saying that God is like a mother who will not forsake her nursing child, And that God is like a father who runs out to welcome the prodigal home, the lost son home. It also seems evident here that Jesus isn't making a statement on God's gender, but rather God's relationship to us in terms of how we address God. Jesus in his prayer teaches us to address God like a child addresses a parent. He teaches us to address God like he himself addresses God, echoing his words later in the gospel, Abba, Father. 
The term father also had a slightly different connotation in the ancient Near East that I think is relevant here for us today. There is an important term in this culture known by scholars today as the house of the father, or simply householder. It was an identifying marker of where you belong. Whose house do you belong to? Think of it almost like the houses in Harry Potter, minus the sorting hat. Your house gave you an identity. It provided you a status within the community. For instance, when a woman was married, she would go from the house of her family to the house of her husband's family. Now, the householder was usually the oldest male in a family, but not always. The householder had both an ethical and a legal responsibility to take care of those in his, or sometimes her, household. The house to which you belong set your status in the community, and it also determined who would take care of you, who would stand up for you. It sounds a little archaic today, but this first century institution is actually quite important in understanding how Jesus uses the term here, father. It's language of belonging. It's language of adoption. Here, Jesus calls God Father and teaches his disciples to call God Father as well. In prayer, Jesus teaches us that we all belong to the same house, where the Almighty God is the householder who will care for all in God's household. A powerful image indeed. It's an image that almost appears to be a little bold. In fact, a worship liturgy used by some mainline denominations introduces the Lord's Prayer each week by stating, Now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, and then begin with the Lord's Prayer from there. Each time we begin the Lord's Prayer addressing God as our Father, we are affirming that through Christ we belong to God's household, that we've been adopted and claimed as God's own. It's a bold affirmation indeed, but be clear, it's not a new one. This hope that we now belong to God's household is in fact the ancient hope of Israel. As they were delivered from Israel, as, or from Egypt, as they hoped for redemption and exile, here is their ancient hope that ultimately they belong to God no matter what. And that no matter what, God would act as their father, as their householder to deliver them. John Dominic Croson reminded me that this is the very hope we explore and express each year during Advent. Here again, these familiar words of prophecy from Isaiah and think about them through this lens of the household, of the house of the father. Hear these lines from Isaiah. For a child has been born for us, a son given for us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Mighty, uh, sorry, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Through Christ, this promise, this hope, has been, extended, has been extended to the ends of the earth, that God cares for us like a parent to a child. A bold affirmation, but one the world today needs to hear.
that we belong to a God who loves us and claims us as God's own no matter what. Finally, we pray to our Father who is in heaven. It's important to know here in the the Hebrew language, but also in the Jewish understanding, by simply saying in heaven meant separation. Think back to the creation story we know in Genesis. There was the earth and the heavens. There was separation between the two. So, By saying our Father in heaven, there's immediately a distinction drawn. God is our Father, but our Father who is in heaven. The close, loving language of Father is put in check by this phrase, in heaven. God is our loving parent, but this God transcends everything we could ever know or understand. Our God in heaven is simply beyond our greatest expectations and dreams. Our address of God, then, is both familiar and distant. Loving, but also a little confused. It's a reminder that all of our knowledge of God is but a glimpse. That God is far greater than we can ever imagine. Addressing God as residing in heaven also reminds us of God's ability and God's decision to remain active in this world. Connecting to the previous word that God is the householder. The householder not just of me, not just of you, not just of everyone we know, but God is the householder of the entire earth. In this way, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright claims that calling God our Father in heaven means signing on boldly for the kingdom of God and seeking daily to live into it. What exactly this entails is the theme we'll return to throughout the series this summer. Friends, in the preface of the prayer Jesus teaches us, we learn how we are to address God, and we also learn who God is for us. An imminent, loving parent who claims us as their own. Yet this God also transcends our understanding. This God is beyond our greatest dreams and seeks the greater redemption of this earth. It seems to me that this is an image of God that our world needs to experience today in prayer. So friends, as we go, may we in our own prayer lives wrestle with what this means for us today as we seek to boldly live into God's kingdom as beloved members of this heavenly household. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.